This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. Welcome back to Teeming with Ideas. And with me today is a colleague, a friend, and an exemplar, a guy I think who has taught me a ton about leading teams, working effectively with people, and about leadership. So welcome, Clint Coford. Clint. Hey, Carlos. Great to be with you today and great to reconnect. As I always do, Clint, I'd like to ask you to start by introducing yourself to my brilliant listeners. Tell them just a bit about you. Like you said, my name is Clint Coford. I had the, a really cool career, I feel like, in, in being able to work for a lot of really cool brands and companies. I currently am the head of the Human Performance Institute at Johnson & Johnson, where I get to lead all of our talent development efforts. So when you think about executive development, manager development, um, any of the broad professional skills that our people are looking for in their careers, that's what I get to help lead and lead a team doing at J&J. Prior to my time at Johnson & Johnson, I worked at Nike, where I was the head of our talent management organization for the geographies within all of our marketplaces, all the integrated talent management practices. And prior to that, I had a number of different roles in talent and leadership development at Mars Incorporated for about seven years, which is kind of where I grew up in the corporate world. And then previous to that, I spent some time at the U.S. Olympic team and a mid-sized startup. So it's been a, a really interesting career because I've never worked in the same industry twice. I've worked at all kinds of organizations in terms of life cycle, startup, very big, mature, nonprofit. I've seen the upsides and you know the high sides of business. I've seen the challenges really kind of fun to see the full cycle of a business. First of all, the Olympic thing is really very cool. Um, (laughs) I have a feeling my brilliant listeners might be intrigued by what you did for the, it was the U.S. Olympic Committee? Yeah, the U.S. Olympic Committee. What did you do there? I was brought there from a previous boss, a boss that I'd worked with at the startup at the beginning of my career after I had finished grad school. And the intent was to, uh, and what we did was set up Olympic University. The intent was to provide additional value for uh, Olympic sponsors that you know really only get to activate that sponsorship every four years. So as a way of increasing value, we attempted to take some of the, the lessons learned in sport and trans- translate that into executive development that then could be offered to these sponsors. So when you think of mm-hmm. Visa, McDonald's and Home Depot and so on and so forth, could we provide them with some additional value more regularly than just every four years by helping them lean into the lessons learned from sport and as applied leadership development. Probably the most fun that I've ever had and been able to actually call work. You know, I learned uh, how to bobsled and uh, play judo and, you know, all sorts of different sports, but all truly kind of as work um, as we, as we worked with leaders from, from various companies. The first team you led, were there any lessons from that first leadership role that you carry with you to this day and how you learned the lesson. The first team that I really remember leading 
was actually when I was a volunteer representative for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I was uh, a missionary um, in Russia, in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, I was 19 years old, thousands of miles from family. We had one president that kind of oversaw a group of essentially 120 of us volunteers. And I had specific responsibility for about uh, 12, I believe. Uh, so 11 others, 12. At, ni- at 19 years old. At 19 years old. Yeah. Out in the, in kind of the suburbs of St. Petersburg, Russia. And were all of these folks native English speakers? The majority. There was, there was a few native Russians, a Mongolian and a Bulgarian. That was my first team. Super challenging because one, in essence, what we're trying to do is share and, and spread religion, right? And um, that's not necessarily what most people want. So uh, <laughs> at least at least in Russia at the time. Yeah. And so inspiring and helping the team and helping you know myself tap back into why we chose to be there and um, what we were trying to accomplish, I think was the essence of leading the team. And certainly other components played into that, such as setting some goals for us, some targets that could be met. But a lot of it, I think, was around helping people to tap into purpose and what made them want to be there, what made them get up out of bed every day to continue to work hard, despite minus 40 temperatures in the winter, being outside on your feet all day in in that type of weather and, and other conditions as well. But that's not easy. It's not easy to motivate people in that in that situation. Were there any places where real interdependent collaboration had to happen among you? There was less interdependencies required, but just for me, it was more of the first time of trying to unite everybody in a collective goal and vision, trying to support and tap into the purpose that would motivate them, drive accountability. There was conversations that had to be had around how time was used and and not used, right? And despite the volunteer aspect or whatever, there's still some element of performance metrics, just trying to to help inspire and then improve the capability, providing feedback and and whatnot. And so some in some cases that was on the language capability of, of somebody, just how proficient they were in, in Russian. In most cases, it was more around their ability to teach. So providing feedback and coaching and and whatnot. So at the age of 19, and I'm guessing most of these people were roughly your age. Yeah, yeah, they were were 19, 20, 21. So how was it that a 19-year-old got named to lead this band? No, I was kind of assigned by our presence of the the one quote-unquote adult in the area. But yeah, so mine was just what we called a district. It was a group of 12. Somebody recognized in you leadership potential. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was there anything you learned from what went wrong that sticks with you to this day? Oh, yeah. I think power is a very delicate item. I never view myself as fully overbearing, but I think there's definitely lessons to be learned around how you motivate and how you inspire, how you wield power. I think what I learned most in that situation is trying to prove that you're right and and, and, <laughs> and whether that's because you actually are or because you have the power from the positional power perspective. What does that look like, trying to prove that you're right? In this situation, it would be working with different groups and trying to help them see that they could have been more effective in teaching or that they could have taught more or 
uh, provided more hours of service, there were guidelines for us that were set. And so, you know, as an example, we were supposed to serve a certain number of hours just in the general community. And that could be accomplished in a number of ways. If others weren't doing that, we needed to have those conversations with them. And even though the rule might be set at two hours a week at a, at a minimum, and I asked them, you know, if they've done that and they haven't done that, in my mind, like they should have put in their two hours of community service. And, you know, realizing that just honing in on the hour, you know, on the rule, because I'm the, the leader of the, the district here, like those don't work. Those don't work. There were performance expectations. Yep. Somebody did not meet those expectations. And you, as the boss, had to provide feedback. What I'm intrigued by is, in that case, you were right and they were not. So what's the problem? The problem is that that's not how human dynamics work. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reality is nobody wants to be wrong and nobody wants to be right. proven that they're wrong. You fast forward into our careers, Carlos, and how we worked both together and collectively at, at Mars. Influence is so much more powerful than telling or prescribing or directing. I think being able to, in those moments, as I reflect back and take those lessons learned, it's really about how you approach these situations. Because yeah, you can hold people accountable straight up for having missed these things. It doesn't mean that they're going to hit them next time. It doesn't mean that they'll feel inspired or desired to change any of their behavior. People and leading teams is a lot about how you influence and how you connect with people in a way that means something for them personally. Right. You know, the more you can stitch together individuals' unique purposes into a collective purpose right. really provides the foundation for what meaningful progress you can make together as a, as a team. This topic of influence versus telling an individual who has missed a performance target that's clearly defined. And as team leader, you have a responsibility, not just to that person, but to the entire team to make sure everybody's carrying their weight. Because if one person doesn't do their thing, it doesn't in some ways let the team down. So we've got a situation where you have to provide the feedback. What's the influence technique you use when the task could be seen as very black and white? How do you go from telling to influencing? What would that look like? What are the behaviors? As leaders, whether in our homes or in our communities or formal kind of work organizations, I think we come across this all the time. It may feel to us as leaders often that it's very blatant, but I think often on the other side, there's usually some really good reasons and some issues that usually are somewhat justified or, or at least legitimate in the minds of those that miss these targets mm -hmm. that warrant some deeper understanding. One of the things that I feel like has helped me throughout my career be successful that I'd certainly learned from my time in Russia. It's Covey's classic, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And I think okay. too often as leaders of teams, we are feeling under pressure as you think about your responsibility that you have for this wider group of people and you're trying to move them so quick that you end up actually only moving yourself versus stepping back and realizing that it takes a lot of time. Humans are emotional creatures. We're, we're messy. We, we, we like to think in black and white. The reality is we live in the gray. And I think understanding what people's situation is, what their motivations are, what is going on in the background that you might not see or you might not understand 
in today's terms, we would also call it making it psychologically safe to be able to, to have that dialogue. I think that's what actually inspires people to bring their best and to collaborate and, and work together and, and make progress. If you don't, I think the risk is that all those behaviors go underground. You might get the answer that you're looking for verbally, but the behavior won't match that because we tend to then not trust those that lead us. And even if we know that we're kind of in the wrong, if we don't feel understood and appreciated, then we're likely not going to be motivated to change any of our behavior. What you're talking about could also be called a kind of empathy. Yeah. When's the time to just get on with it and say, I got it. And now we got to get the job done. Yeah. It's not all uh, puppy dogs and unicorns. Uh, for sure. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I guess where I was coming from is at the beginning, you can't just sit down with somebody for the very first time and all of a sudden, like, I'm going to hold you accountable and this is the standard and it's this way or, or no way. I mean, I think that's, it starts off with the understanding and whatnot. To your point, as you've done that, and if there continue to be challenges to uh, meeting performance standards or violations of the agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think it really comes down to having those conversations along the way and, and narrating as a leader, what is in your mind, what you're frustrated with, what your expectations are so that there's no surprises. I think part of that has to be retelling the story of where you've been, that you, you have taken time to listen, to hear them out. You see things perhaps differently or that you would expect that based on grace or space that has been extended in the past, that performance then begins to improve. And in the volunteer world, that's a little bit harder. Um, yeah. Where you're, you're still at the mercy of what people will give you. At work, we obviously have to do a good job of providing that space up front and building the relationships. But the time comes when you know people have to be held to account. Yeah. I've had to let go or work out of the organizations that I've been in, you know, number of folks that haven't met the targets, the expectations, uh, behavioral or performance for our mm -hmm. teams. That comes through a number of conversations. And in my mind, there's no hard and fast rules, but I generally try the three strikes and you're out. Okay. All right. Hey, I, I'm working with you. I'm trying to understand and we can come back a few times, but at, at some point it has to escalate to, do you really want to be here? And I think that the biggest challenge is fear. People in organizations, they're going to tell you what you want and they're going to, they're going to say all the right things usually because there's a fear of losing the job and a, a fear, of, right. fear of loss, fear of that unknown. And so I think it's trying to navigate that, help people through that so that ultimately at the end of the day, it's, it's not a surprise. I can't say I've been perfect at that in any way, shape or form, but I, I have been fortunate enough to have numerous times in my career, people that have been let go actually thank me on the way out. Uh, wow. Leave me a present or write me a thank you note or something because of the way that it was handled. And so I think there is a, a way to hold people to account with while also extending grace and helping them maintain their respect. Grace is uh, the root of the word gracious. It's remembering that we're all people. We're all trying to do our best. Establish a human relationship with the people on your team. And within the context of that fuller relationship, you can then manage performance in a more effective way using your influence skills. Is that, is that a fair summary? So yeah, I mean, good information leads to good decisions. When you know the people holistically, you can make better holistic decisions. I'm curious to know about the best team you were ever on or, or led that 
just felt exciting and vibrant and affirming. Thankfully, I've been part of a, a number of teams that are like that. They are few and far between. I feel like these times are kind of, I call them lightning in a bottle, where these periods of life where you manage to be on one of these teams and everything clicks and, uh, and they're certainly not to be taken for granted. A couple of those teams occurred when I was at Mars. Oh, a couple of them, huh? So it was more than just one. Yeah, I, I, the, the, when I led uh, learning and development for North America, I had a, a small team that was in that situation, just full of great talent, everybody on the same page, and we're able to really move a, a big agenda forward very quickly and have a lot of fun along the way. I feel like I was able to replicate that at Banfield, uh, so another division of, of Mars Incorporated. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like I got actually the same kind of situation going on with my current team. Is there a time when as a leader of a team, you did something you regret? There's lots of things I regret <laughs> uh, as, as a leader. I wish I was more perfect in terms of good examples the one that comes to mind the most for me was in uh, the beginning of 2019 here at Johnson & Johnson, I knew that I was going to be needing to change things up with my team, both from the talent perspective, as well as organizational structure. Mm. As much as I legally could be, I was extremely transparent about what was going to be happening. At the beginning of the year, I was very clear that our team would be going through massive transformation how we were organized would likely shift uh, skills and capabilities that would be needed for the future would need to be evaluated. I continued to be really clear and straightforward as the year went on. In this particular situation, the, the changes that ended up taking place ended up being much bigger than just my team. It ended up influencing a broader department as some of the ideas and concepts that I was pushing for in my team were also recognized as needed in some other parts. And so it led to a much bigger organizational transformation. And, and I think the lesson learned here for me was that I was trying to be so transparent along the way that I probably did more harm to my team than good. No kidding. There was so much anxiousness about what could happen every step of the way that it kind of ran a little counterintuitive to what my grand experiment was. So I had this vision of creating a grand experiment, which was really as simple as how do we run a reorg process or, or you know, kind of a transformation process that could be as positive as possible, as transparent as possible. What I believe I was able to do was deliver on that regular, very clear updates on what was happening as much as, again, legally could be shared. Right. Certainly all the cues shared very, very early. And the interesting part for me was that it caused more anxiousness and more emotional fatigue through the process than it did energy or resilience from people understanding and knowing what was coming. I'm a big fan of transparency, but just like I was suggesting empathy can be overdone, transparency can be overdone. Yeah. It sounds like it's possible we could overshare. And I'm just wondering if there are any lessons you learned that can be generalized as guidelines. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the big thing is that I, I needed to be in this situation more empathetic because as empathetic as I was trying to be in sharing as much information to help give cues to people, I think the reality is, is that with that type of transformation taking place, it only causes stress and anxiety 
maybe as a metaphor is ripping the bandaid off very, very slowly can sometimes be more painful being clear and upfront at the beginning, like I was, um, mm-hmm. but then not sharing regular updates, trying to make sure everybody was apprised until it was actually time to move forward, perhaps would have played out a little bit better. Well, the, the conventional wisdom would be, if I'm transparent, if I demonstrate to my people that I'm sharing information and that I trust them, they will then trust me. But it certainly sounds like it also has a dark side. I think so. I think there's limits appropriately to what can be shared. And I think, again, if I had taken more time to put myself truly in the shoes of my team, uh, process that and realize that information is power, but sometimes we're not ready for everything. We're back to that idea of empathy again. I just started reading a book about how to grow a business, entrepreneur that I am. <laughs> the guy makes a really valid point about giving people what they want, not what you think they need. With all the best intentions, you gave them what you thought they needed to have psychological safety. And in fact, maybe they would have wanted it differently had you taken the time to build that empathy. Hmm. I think that's well said. Yeah, empathy. It's such a powerful, natural human thing. And in fact, when I started in teams and leader development many years ago with a company called DDI, we taught these five principles of management, the first one of which was show empathy. I hadn't thought much about it since those days. So this is kind of cool. <laughs> What's old is new. What's old is new. I mean, you you spend your time focused on leader development, and I'm sure you're getting exposed to lots of cool ideas. Is there some idea out of the last five years that you think is really exciting and new and different that people should be aware of? When I think about the work that we did together at Mars Carlos, to me, that is the tried and true, the foundational steps that, that create a recipe for amazing teams to collaborate, whether they're intact or cross-functional or, or whatnot. And that notion of inspire purpose and crystallizing intent to being able to focus on how we build trust and, and harness the collaboration, then getting into the tactics of how we work together and and then the sustainability part. I think what has impressed me the most about being part of the Human Performance Institute and being influenced by the work of Dr. Jim Lair, one of the co-founders of the Human Performance Institute, is the notion of energy. Hmm. At J&J, we're now talking about and defining leadership as the ability to direct human energy. We focus very much on the energy that we bring and and not just physical energy, but mental and emotional and spiritual energy, spiritual energy being purpose and how that purpose translates into meaning for you and then motivate and move all that energy in the right direction. I think that has me most fascinated around the application to teams, the energy of teams. It's part of where the purpose plays and the focus and the priorities of the team through the intent and some of the other practices, I think it's a new dimension. It's a new area that I'm really excited to dig in more to. Who are we on our best day as individuals? And usually that's a representation of the energy that we're able to bring. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is to be true for teams. How do we bring out the best energy and marshal that energy to really make a difference? I am not the biggest NFL fan, but if my memory serves me right, the Kansas City Chiefs were in the Super Bowl last year against the 49ers. They were mm-hmm. down considerably before mounting a massive comeback. 
and then completely demolished the 49ers by the end of the Super Bowl. Right. Same kind of situation this year, but there was not the energy that helps them right. to be able to resurge and take command of the game. I think it's that factor. Clearly, the Kansas City Chiefs were an amazing team this year in what they were able to do in the regular season, the statistics of individual players, the unity. I think if we check all the traditional boxes of were they an effective team, I think the answer is absolutely. The question is on that day, in that moment, what sparked the energy comeback in last year's Super Bowl versus the inability to mount that comeback this year? And I think that's the new frontier for me that I'm excited about the principles of the Human Performance Institute that could be applied in this space. And it's all about managing energy. Yeah. I get a lot of energy from chatting with you, Clint Coford. So thank you very much. I know you're a very busy guy with a broad responsibility. Thank you, Carlos. It's great to be with you and appreciate uh, all you're doing in the world of teams and collaboration. Well, <laughs> it is a delight when I get to work with folks like you, Clint. To my uh, brilliant listeners, thank you. And I'll look forward to having you with us in our next episode. Take care. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teaming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teaming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdapena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening, and keep on teaming with ideas. <laughs>